This is Floss Weekly. I'm Doc Searles. And on this show, we ring in the new year with a roundtable of Jonathan Bennett, Catherine Druckmann, myself, and himself, Leo Laporte, who is fabulous, as we all know. It's a great show. We cover lots and lots of topics, and that is coming up next. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Floss Weekly, episode 713, recorded Wednesday, January 4th, 2023. Let's put thoughts on the blockchain. This episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by FastMail. Reclaim your privacy, boost productivity, and make email yours with FastMail. Try it free for 30 days at fastmail.com slash twit. FastMail is also giving Twit listeners a 15% discount on the first year when you sign up today. And by Collide, that's Collide with a K. Collide is an endpoint security solution that gives IT teams a single dashboard for all devices, regardless of their operating system. Visit collide.com slash floss to learn more and activate a free 14-day trial today. No credit card required. Hello again, everybody, everywhere, and welcome to the new year. Um, I am Doc Searles. This is Floss Weekly, and I am joined today by a bunch of people who are appearing on the screen now. Jonathan Bennett, Catherine Druckmann, and Leo himself, Laporte, who... Uh, <laughs> Former host of Floss Weekly. Just just, just, just got here. <laughs> a and, long uh, time ago. About 100 years ago. recruited me for yeah. this gig, which is going... I'm going in my third year now, I think, Leo. Isn't that I amazing how fast that goes? And I, we've been really I, thrilled. Uh I started it and then uh, brought on Chris DeBona, who is, uh, was the open source guy at oh, Google. Yeah. And then uh, I got tired of it. Chris did it for a while. And we brought in Randall Schwartz, who hosted it for many years, I think almost a decade. Uh, and then about three years ago, I called on Mr. Searles. And what a good choice that was. And you dragged along Catherine and Jonathan with you, which was which was. <laughs> I think Jonathan brilliant. was already here. It was brilliant. I think Jonathan predates me. Oh, Jonathan yeah, was filling but, in uh, for uh, Randall. I did, That's right. That's I right. did drag yep. Catherine. Yeah. So, so and Sean it doesn't show. And Sean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Sean, yeah. Sean, Sean came from. We're we're Linux Journal in exile. That's what that's mm. what this is. <laughs> Not so much in exile anymore. I mean, Linux is. Uh, this is it. The year of the Linux desktop. <laughs> it it's the it's the it's the twenty fifth running year of the Linux desktop. I, I think. <laughs> running and buffering. How many covers did you do on the Linux journal? <laughs> I I have back here, right over there. There's a stack of Linux journals, and probably if I started flipping back through them, I'd probably find five of them at least, Absolutely. something like that. But we but we have it, and um, so. Let's get into it. I'll start with Jonathan because he sent the most. I thought the best prep on what what. And I'm not so crazy, but it's sort of like what do we look forward to more than what do we what just happened in the last year? There are too many retrospectives. <laughs> so, what's prospective or happening now um, that we have to live through? Well, the big thing that's happening right now. Do we want do we want to talk about uh, cryptocurrency right out the gate? Bitcoin sure. and Ethereum and it's, all of oh that. Oh gosh, I so, was hoping this would be the year we could stop talking about it. <laughs> well, yeah. it, it may it's be the, the first last of the next twenty-five annual it. years of the cryptocurrency boom, yeah. right? Yeah. This, yeah. 
So actually, I I have an interesting take on that. There was there was a crash. There's FTX, which was kind of the poster boy. It, it was it was the the big corporation that was doing cryptocurrency right, and come to find out, no, it was a pyramid scam and money laundering scheme. And the the CEO has now been brought up on charges. And there's a lot of kind of fallout from that, and a lot of people wondering what's going to happen with crypto. It's like some of the shine has been knocked off of it. And then you've got Ethereum moved from proof of work to proof of stake, which I think is probably a really a good thing for cryptocurrency going forward. So, you know, rather than burning billions and billions of CPU and GPU cycles, it's, it's now it's different. It's, it's the, oh, I forget exactly how it works, but it's like out of the pool of people that own it, 10 get chosen for yeah, each token. Do a, yeah, they don't do a competition. They do a contract. And, you and know, I have to say, just recently, this year is the was, last year was the year we learned that cryptocurrency was used primarily for scams and ransomware. I think, <laughs> uh, seriously, no, I'm yeah, serious. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that it, not only is the shine gone, but any sensible inve- investor now knows it was purely speculative, and and really the only thing it empowered were Ponzi schemes and ransomware uh, attacks. Without that, ransomware would be a fraction of what it is. If you still had to go down to the 7-Eleven and buy cash cards to pay off your ransomware, it wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'll give you another one. I'll give you another one. This whole blockchain thing, because people always say this to me. They say, well, yeah, cryptocurrency. Yeah, okay. But blockchain, or there's some underlying technologies that are great. Blockchain... And this audience understands this better than anybody else. It's just a Postgres, uh, you know, distributed. It's a distributed database. And uh, somebody was, <laughs> so big deal, right? And somebody was somebody was saying, oh, you know, uh, yesterday we were, we were talking about, um, oh, I can't remember, something. Oh, password management. And they said, why don't we put it on blockchain? I said, oh, what a great idea. Make everybody's passwords permanently public. <laughs> I, but encrypted I, encrypted yeah, right. the, the only use case i've heard of at all for any of this is collectibles uh that it's somehow you could have a uh immutable provenance for that hannes wagner card Woo, changing the world uh, one no one no Leo, card at a time. blockchain has already changed the world blockchain has already changed the world what do you think git is it's a distributed database. But it's not blockchain. Yeah. No, Git is fantastic. And Git's exactly the right application. Uh, everybody who has a Git uh, uh, um, uh, you know, repository has a copy of every change uh, on in the repository. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a good way to use it. It's not blockchain, though. I mean, I guess it's blockchain-like. It's a Git chain or a yeah. block Git. It's a distributed um, database. That's a way to do it. I think that's fine. I know. It's a... It's a I, but I wonder, in respect to cryptocurrency, if we're at a moment right now that's a little bit like ancestors were when somebody says, you know, we're clay isn't working anymore. We need to use metal um, and um, and stamp it into circles, and and nobody could agree on exactly what the circles ought to be. Like, like, are we going to have cryptocurrency? I mean, is cryptocurrency a a permanent thing, even if it's just speculative at this point? hard to say so one of the one of the other stories about this is uh luke dasher one of the guys that is a bitcoin developer lost like 200 bitcoins to a a a theft uh all of his bitcoins one of the original bitcoin guys yeah yeah and he he can't figure out how yet they don't know how (laughs) oh (laughs) wow this is not the year of the bitcoin i I am happy to be a luddite (laughs) in this regard doc (laughs) 
Uh, you know, sometimes the looms do have to be destroyed. Uh, and in this case, there will be uh, digital currencies. Don't don't get me wrong. I think the uh, you know reserve banks, the uh, Federal Reserve banks of many nations plan. There's the Luke story. Plan yeah. uh, to have digital currencies. There will be a digital dollar, but we're virtually digital as it is. How many? When's the last time you pulled a dollar bill out of your wallet? Well, maybe Doc, you That's did. But. <laughs> I, I, you give it, quarters it, as tips, like the, John D. Rockefeller. Here's a shiny it, dime, young man. Yeah, Don't spend well, it well, all in one it, place. The, the hard places with tip jars. Tip jars. Um, you, you see the empty tip jar at the Starbucks, you know, because yeah, how do you people tip aren't them? carrying cash yeah. anymore. It's kind of pathetic. Yeah. Well, you, you could tip them in Venmo. Somebody, uh, it's a good point because we have a tip jar on the Twit site and I got an email yesterday from a guy in Indonesia, actually was on the Twit forums, on the discourse forums, who said, I can't give you any money. I said, yeah, you know, this is PayPal's restriction. That's fine. <laughs> you don't have to give us any Yeah, money. yeah, yeah. If your, int- your intentions are good. Your intention, yeah, the thought, it's the thought that counts. It's the thought that counts. We'll put that in the bank. Yeah. Where, whatever that is. I well. like the thoughts yeah. myself. Lisa wants, Lisa wants cold hard cash to pay the light bill, but yeah, like let's put thoughts, thoughts on the blockchain. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a good point though. That Git is a, Git is a, a block. It's a distributed database though. See, it's not, isn't blockchain technology, right, Jonathan? It's not the same. Uh, it's really, it's so I say that a little bit looking. of a troll, but at the same yeah. time, it's really pretty similar. If you take the idea of blockchain and you take the currency idea out of it, you essentially have Git. It's right, right. pretty similar. <laughs> and did Subversion uh, put a, I don't think it did, put a copy of uh, every commit on your hard drive as well? I don't think so. I think that had a central database, it, I think. I've avoided using Subversion as much as possible. <laughs> I can't remember. I That's how remember. long it's been since I, I used remember. Subversion. What's Subversion? <laughs> I don't remember how it works. <laughs> yeah, Git I'm, is so I'm far superior. Enough. It's been Git full time yeah. for me. That's actually an interesting open source story from the year gone by. Microsoft's, um, what, what what should we call it? Uh, kind of, I guess uh, they they've been keeping they've been taking care of it. Their stewardship of open source through Git uh, and GitHub. We had for a long time thought. I think when they first bought GitHub, a lot of people said, "Oh, it's GitLab for me," or "I'm gonna," you know. Uh, Wash my hands of that. I don't think that's, <laughs> but I don't think that's the case, right? They've they've been a good steward. Yeah, so, so far. Um, there, there's been a couple of things that have happened that have made people worry. Uh, like one of the big ones was they took down um, YouTube DL. And a lot of people went, oh, look, that's Microsoft being anti-open source. Right. No, no, that was that was a DMCA takedown. And, and they backed down. Resolved and yeah. back up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would agree. I think they've done a great job with with GitHub, but also a lot of other open source projects that Microsoft supports. It's amazing. You go look at like the Linux kernel, the top 10 companies. Microsoft for years now has been in that top 10 list because they use Linux mm-hmm. internally in a bunch of places. It's great. Yeah, I have no problem with it, it, with Microsoft it, and GitHub. I think they've, they've done a great job. I think, you know, GitHub... GitHub is the still people, you know, there was a lot of that talk of of uh, major projects jumping ship and, and, and hosting their own or going to GitLab or whatever. But it, it's still the place to develop open source software. And that hasn't changed. And I think that's an indication of their stewardship. It's interesting. So I mean, one of the big issues is last year, one of the reasons that that uh, um, crypto took off as a as a currency idea is, is decentralization. Um and um, I went to a big 
camp that put on by the um, uh, Internet Archive this last summer on the decentralized web and wanting to de- decentralize everything. Of course, Mastodon is probably even the biggest story from this last year, mm-hmm. an open source kind of alternative to um, uh, to Twitter. Yeah. And, and it's quite aside from the politics of everything that happened with Twitter getting owned by somebody. But um, but I'm, but I'm wondering whether what we're going to come up to are the limits of, of decentralization and the advantages of centralization. Because in a way, Microsoft being a steward of GitHub and GitHub being, although a distributed database, basically centralized in the sense that somebody runs it. Um, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. You know, Brian Bellendorf, who I think we've had on the show, yeah, talks about minimum viable centralization. What is that? And That's I wonder whether that phrase. is an ethos is something that'll take off. Love that phrase. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that makes sense because you, yeah. you can't have – so you've got GitHub, you've got GitLab. So there's these two different options. One is very centralized, the other is very de- decentralized. But even with GitLab, good luck making that work without, say, DNS. There's got to be some, you know, everybody on board with the central idea to even make things work. Although DNS is decentralized, right? Sort of. You have your, your 13 canonical <laughs> servers, but they're all over the world. They're highly protected. I would say that's an example of minimum viable centralization. I was going to say a minimum. Yeah. Minimum, but no more. Yeah, but yeah. no more. And then everybody else is kind of responsible for maintaining their own, you know, DNS cache, including you on your... I, You know, you said I didn't do any prep doc, but actually, <laughs> in my mind, <laughs> I was thinking about centralization as being one of the big stories. What was the lesson we learned in 2022 was big centralized social media sites are dangerous we also learned this from LastPass. Centralized password storage <laughs> is dangerous. I think 2022 was a, a, a important uh, watershed moment for people who support open and decentralized solutions. And Mastodon's a very good example. You know, I've been we've had a Mastodon server for years. Before that, we had Identica and uh, StatusNet, and we uh, you know since 2007, yeah. uh, you had Evan Podromo on. Um, we've used a, you know, a variety of different ways of doing this. And I've really been a believer in this idea of Fediverse and Federation. Uh, it really makes sense to me. But you're right. It's not as, you know, everybody goes to Twitter and says, well, look, everybody's here in one spot. But we see the downside of that as well. If, if it can be bought by a billionaire, I think it's a bad idea. <laughs> that is I, a, speaking of th- Mastodon, a- I, don't, I hope y'all aren't sick of talking about Mastodon, but... Um, is anybody else finding the Mastodon experience just, you know, obviously in the last few months when it's when the user, the user base has grown tremendously. But are you all finding just the the conversations there to be so much more thoughtful and um, and deep and interesting? And, and it's like it's like going back to the Internet of 15 years ago. Do you is it is that just me or is that everybody's experience? A hundred percent. It's not me. Um but I, you I wanna, disagree, I Doc. Hold you, that thought. you don't like Mastodon. All right, I'll I, fight no, no, you. I lo- I, actually, I love Mastodon. <laughs> oh, okay, um, and I love the two places I, I'm at in Mastodon, which is Twit and the other. And uh, we have a very nice. List. That's but trying to make it perfect. Trying example. to make it all work is a little bit of a, a, a chore for me. But I I want to get into the topic. But first, we have to pause and let everybody know that this episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by Fastmail, uh, free. Email isn't free. You pay with your privacy. For over 20 years, Fastmail has been a leader at email privacy. At Fastmail, your data stays yours with productivity features for as little as $3 a month. Fastmail prioritizes your privacy. Your personal data is kept safe and away from third parties. 
with better spam filters and absolutely no ads. All FastMail data is stored in the U.S. and FastMail is fully GDPR compliant. Mask email protects your personal data by allowing you to create multiple addresses to use when you sign up for various websites. And privacy isn't all you get with FastMail. You can customize your workflow with colors, custom swipes, night mode, and more. You can organize your inbox with scheduled send, snooze, folders, labels, search bar, and so on. Plus, keep track of all of the important details in your life easily with FastMail's powerful sidebar. It gives you the ability to send and receive emails from your own domain and manage multiple email addresses in one space, which helps keep you organized and protects your personal data. Works with password managers like Bitwarden and 1Password to make it easy for you to create unique passwords for every account and safely store them on your device. It's great on desktop and mobile, especially when you download the FastMail app to get the most out of your email. The FastMail app is the best place to try all their newest features and will always be the most up-to-date. FastMail has a U.S.-based support team full of email experts that are always within reach to put you first. The FastMail team believes in working for customers as people to be cared for, not products to be exploited. Advertisers are left out, putting you and your privacy at the center. Check out these reviews. One says, I used FastMail because it's super fast and cares deeply about privacy and doing the right thing. Another says, FastMail rocks. It's secure, private, independent, and has a Gmail transfer tool. You won't regret this move. Another says, I test drove several services but settled on FastMail years ago, and I couldn't be happier. I use it for my entire family as well as a separate plan for my business. And don't worry about losing information. It's easy to download your old data and import it into your new FastMail inbox. No need to leave important info behind when you switch. FastMail is moving email forward with new internet standards and open source innovations that power many email services other than their own. Don't get left behind by substandard email providers. New year, new you, new email. Reclaim your privacy, boost productivity, and make email yours with FastMail. Try it free for 30 days at fastmail.com slash twit. That's fastmail.com slash twit. FastMail is also giving Twit listeners a 15% discount on the first year when you sign up today. Next time, let okay. me do that one, Doc. I can do it in about eight minutes. I I, I, <laughs> I, I was saying before we started, here I am, I'm going to be reading ads in front of the best ad liver of ads on well, earth. And in and the case of FastMail, I'm a, I'm a user, I've been a user for more I know, than a decade, like, and I'm so, a huge fan. So we have, what do we have coming up here? This audience, <laughs> wanna, this audience should use. You want to do Collide? You can do Collide. Okay, I'll do, do the, the, I'll do them all. I'll do them all for okay, you. Why should them. you have to do any ads? I, I, I'm with you. On that. I'm the ad man. I'm the PT <laughs> Barnum the, oh of podcasting. No, I, I was going to say Fastmail is great for um, geeks because, A, it's an open source IMAP server, Cyrus. They contribute back to the open source considerably. In fact, they've proposed a new much better than DKIM and DMARC um, uh, mail authentication standard, which I hope gets adopted. FastMail is a big contributor to the uh, open source community. Plus, you also get the open source uh, Civ filters. And I have, I have like hundreds of lines of Civ script uh, filtering my uh, email. Uh, it's, if you're, you don't have to be geeky to use it, but if you're geeky, whew, it's kind of like the well. <laughs> Do you remember the well? 
Sure you oh, do, yeah. Doc. I was on the well. Yeah, the yeah. well was very simple, you know, text-based forums with threads. But if you, if you, I can't remember what the command was, but there was a command to exit, and you could drop out of the well into the into the early you know, proto-internet and use Gopher and Archie. You got a command line. And so that's what kind of fast mail is like, you know, on the surface, normal. <laughs> but underneath, it's geeky goodness. I think you could probably describe us all that way. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> we seem normal, uh, well, but don't ask don't us know. about Arch because, you know, <laughs> it's all over. Or rest. Or rest. <laughs> In Jonathan's case. Well, we have a Do we want to talk about topic Rust? coming up, but let's stay, let's stay on Mastodon for a minute because um, I think, I mean... It's a good conversation. It's, it, it's, a, it's a huge topic. I mean, if you were asking, Catherine, do um, you have better conversations there? I think the conversations are better and they're more like conversations. On the other hand, and I'll put this out there, I've, there are several challenges for journalists and journalism in particular, especially going after the hand that feeds you for some of the major pubs that, that accept, um, that do tracking. I mean, the New Yorker, all the Cotty Nass mm-hmm. pubs, Wired, all of them, they track the living crap out of you. And, and they'll run ads, not ads, they'll run stories over and over again about how, about here's what Facebook and Google are doing wrong. But unless you're protected and you open any one of those, your, your browser is getting filled with tracking, tracking beacons. And, Nobody wants to touch it. It's the third rail. So I've been every so often I'll put something in the in the journo.host one hoping to get a rise and haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> That's so, the wrong nobody. place to do that. <laughs> probably is. Those yeah, are they don't corporate journalists. <laughs> they don't have yeah. Let me actually there was a huge story uh, broke yesterday uh, that the Irish, Irish, uh, Irish, Irish Republic, <laughs> the Irish, the, and I like it too. The Irish Republic, uh, the, um, privacy, uh, uh, guards there, uh, have fined Facebook more than $400 million and forbid them from using your online activities, to sell ads, which some interpret as a complete reversal. They're basically telling everybody you can't track people and then use that to sell advertising. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. I was get a new business model. Yeah. $400 million (laughs) fine. Um, 390 million euros. Um, is huge. Uh, not a lot for Facebook, but it tells every, it's a, it's a flag in the sand saying, Hey, you know what? You can't do this anymore. There's a, a, somebody I spoke to recently who seems to know their stuff said that basically Facebook and Google are just budgeting it in. They're budgeting in. We're, we're going to be paying big GDPR fines all over Europe, and that's just part of the cost of doing business. But being actually forbid from... from Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. Like this is outright against the law. You're not going to do that. Now, how do they find out? I mean, it, it's interesting. If you look at, a, say, a nuclear power plant or anything that's a public utility, and there are guys in... Maybe it's just guys, but people in white coats with uh, pocket protectors and... And, you know, degreed professionals that know what they're doing and go in there and inspect everything. You can't do that with an algorithm. Well, you can't get inside of Google or Facebook. And remember kind of uh, back in the 90s uh, when Microsoft made a deal with the DOJ, one of the uh, parts of the DOJ deal was an ombudsman, an outside third party inside Microsoft watching what they did. So it's certainly doable. But even from the outside, all you have to do is go to Facebook and try to buy an ad 
based on a 66-year-old men in Petaluma who uh, have <laughs> have recently browsed stories about uh, women's underwear, and boom, I show up. So, no, I'm yeah. kidding. But you could do that. You could verify whether they're – I think uh, ProPublica and others have done that ki- exact kind of – uh, you know, stealth uh, research into Facebook, and and they, you know, they've demonstrated Facebook will sell ads against all kinds of information, which they clearly don't know from just what you've put on Facebook. So, so Google has a gigantic back end that is the plumbing for much of the advertising fico system um, uh, that is tracking based. And did you say fecal system? I did. Fico, fico, fico system. Oh, yeah. oh fico yeah. scores, not fecal as scores. It, okay. No, <laughs> no, no. As in, as in feces, as they say. I just try not to use the It was a scatological reference. It was, okay. Yeah, it's a scatological okay. reference. I'm new here. I, a, I didn't know. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> uh, but the, um, so what do I mean, if they forbid Google in particular, but if they're forbidding, like your, your J random um, blog, um, and, and, you know, your, your ads are being placed by Google and they're based on the tracking that's in your browser um, how does are they going to come after the whole plumbing system that's that that's well that's on, that's or? interesting. I wonder if the Irish regulator, I mean that's what they imply is that if you can't yeah, do it, it Facebook, no one uh, is allowed to do it, and Google would be the biggest violator. They could be saying to Google, yeah, you know, all that information you get from people's searches, that's private. Holy cow! Yeah, wow. Well, but so. I wonder, though, you know, I wonder. Go ahead, Catherine. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, I wonder, you know, legislating things like that without the ability to truly enforce it, without the ability, without the ability to go and look under Facebook's hood and verify that that's actually how things are working. um, You know, I I don't know. It it strikes me as it it reminds me of something else that I thought we might talk about, uh, you know, the the year in security or something. But there are things like uh, the Open Source Security Act, for example, that's out there. Um, but it just strikes me as, okay, we, we can, we can make these broad declarations using legislation or regulation and whatever, but it's almost like wishful thinking. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, well, we're going to just legislate security to be, uh, into, into software. And that, you know, obviously doesn't work. So they, I, I kind of, the, these things are similar in my mind and that it's a nice gesture and it's a nice thought, but is it really, is there a lot of, uh, does it pack a punch? I guess is what I'm asking. Did that pass, by the way, the the securing open source I software? I don't. Think I don't think so. so. Yeah. I think it's still out there, you know, and do, running, going through the. Well, it's the, dead now because, of course, Congress. Oh, is it been, dead? Right. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Nothing's gonna. <laughs> so it's gone. Well, there's just a new Congress, so they start over. Um, I th- I was going to submit <laughs> as one of my prepared bits the notion that the fact that we've seen at least two or three Linux vulnerabilities emerge this past year is more further proof that Linux on the desktop has finally arrived. Because the bad guys are going after it. Are, how many of those vulnerabilities are really desktop-oriented? They're all server-focused. Server there were a couple of uh, kernel-ish uh, errors, right, issues, that you could use to go after desktops. You could, yeah. I think most of those, though, were uh, elevation of privilege. So, you know, really somebody getting into it, it's still going to be, uh, you know, vulnerability in Chrome. You pop Chrome and then you use one of these others to actually get to root. Um, Sounds bad to me. But it, well, I mean, that's that's true. But I, I, I just don't know that there's a, a real 
line you can draw from any of these vulnerabilities to Linux on the desktop. Um, but it's you're it's right. When we thought. see Linux ransomware, then we'll know. <laughs> Linux desktop ransomware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's true. Yeah. Ransomware for Linux. It's not just we've got your website encrypted. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, there is. Uh, I'm just did a Google search. There is uh, Linux ransomware. Oh, I'm sure, but it's yeah. still it's encrypting your website. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean. I think as more and more people use Linux backends, look at Microsoft actually embracing Linux. So uh, Azure yeah. supports Linux as well as AWS, Google, uh, the cloud. Is, Azure runs on Linux. Yeah, too. the cloud is Linux. Well, I understand. Based. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so one of the one of the stories I've been following this year, I think, is really interesting. Ties into that is Valve, and uh, we now have an open source and Linux based gaming console with the Steam Deck. And if you if you followed like gaming consoles for the last 10, 20 years, it's kind of mind blowing to actually have one that is this popular. I think they've shipped a million units now. And it's open source. You can go install another distro on it if you want to. You can do pretty much whatever you want to with it. And it is incredible. Uh, so you talk about Linux on the desktop. Well, this may be another place where we have Linux on almost but not quite the desktop. You know, we've taken over servers. We've taken over phones. Now we're going to take over gaming consoles, which are really close to desktops, but not quite. <laughs> well, there's an even bigger uh, impact. I'm a Linux gamer, right? I My gaming mm. machine runs Linux. And because of all these games that have now been adapted to run on the Steam Deck, uh, you have really good compatibility layers for Linux, like Proton, uh, yeah. which means if there are very few PC games I can't play on my Linux desktop. And they run very well. We're even – this is – new stuff but there, it looks even like hdr is going to start coming uh to uh, pc games on the linux desktop so it's huge for a linux user uh i mean you know i'm playing there were there were so bunch of games that i thought oh i can't play these like a uh, factorio and satisfactory and um and then i just installed them and steam you know you install them with steam with the compatibility layer i think they're using proton and it, it just works mm -hmm. and it works great yeah. Uh, well, so two things going on there. Valve has been pushing money towards developers, mm -hmm. uh, open source developers. And then the other thing is because the Steam Deck has taken off in popularity, you have a bunch mm -hmm. of game creators now exactly. going, man, it would be nice if we could run on that. It would be another slice of the pie that we could get. So it's kind of a win all around. Good for me. Yes. Yes. Good for us. <laughs> those, those of us that have desktops running Linux that we like to game on. It's kind of nice. <laughs> well, and my game of the year uh, for the last two years, Valheim, was developed on Linux and runs beautifully on Linux. So uh, that's another thing I'd love to see is more uh, developers writing natively on Linux. That'd be great. And I think we're starting to see that. It's a good development hey, platform. Now, Leo, I've got to ask, what do you think? It's one of the things that people really predicted with Valve and Proton taking off is that we would see fewer games with native Linux ports because Proton just works so well. Well, you think that's that might be. At? Yeah, that might be. I mean, the Valheim developers, uh, actually, it's kind of interesting. IronGate uh, chose Linux because they liked developing on Linux. And I think that that's a very common point of view, right? Uh, I prefer to develop on Linux. than I guess the Mac would be number two because it's kind of Unix-y. Windows has mm -hmm. got to be a, a distant third unless you're writing .NET or, you know, Windows code. Um, so if I'm a developer, I would choose Linux. <laughs> I'm not a developer, but, you know, I play one on TV. 
Hey, trying to install it- Emacs on Windows, let me tell you, that is not a pleasant thing. <laughs> uh, isn't that kind of the point of WSL, though? WSL 2? Yeah, you can run Emacs under, under WSL. Yeah. But why would you do- Look, why? <laughs> just just put well, Linux it, on that machine, and you don't need isn't to Isn't that what it. Microsoft is trying to do, though? Yeah. Is, isn't that their whole point? Is, yeah, they're going, yes, it's easier to develop on Linux. People like doing it, but we want to keep people running on Windows on some regard. Yeah. So we'll give them WSL to be able Precisely. to have the best, best of both worlds. But if you're, but really, it's not the best of both worlds. It's the worst of both worlds. <laughs> <laughs> if you want Linux, well, use Linux. You could dual boot, I guess, <laughs> if you really had to have Windows. So, um, so I'm wondering, in the back channel... Um, on our IRC, there's a suggestion, I'm not looking at it right now, that does Windows end up being another Linux desktop? Well, I've wondered that, and we've, I brought this up in Windows Weekly, only to be uh, dismissed as a fool. <laughs> but here, I feel I'm amongst friends. Uh, I really think Microsoft, in the long run, is going to see Windows as uh, an albatross around their neck, that they, maintaining this ancient, ugly code base, uh, maintaining legacy compatibility all along. I thought for sure that Microsoft would start moving users to cloud-based PCs by now. I mean, they offer it, but it's very expensive, so they're clearly still hoping to sell copies of Windows. But at some point, it's going to become more expensive to keep Windows running than it is to sell it, that they make from selling it. Uh, they're clearly a cloud company now, right? That's that's such an Adela's uh, background. Azure is... I think they it. see that as their yeah. future. So why not? They, I mean, in a way, that's what Nadella said. You know, it used to be that Microsoft's mission statement was um, what a computer on every desktop running Microsoft software. They even had it on the sidewalk at the campus in Redmond, <laughs> so you wouldn't forget. But it's changed. Mm-hmm. When Satya Nadella took over, he said, we want to be where the users are, and we don't. it doesn't have to be on Windows and in fact, it was a big deal when they make Microsoft, the touch version of Microsoft Office, appear first on the iPad, not on their touchscreen Surface laptops. So I think it's in the future. I don't think it's in the near future. But I think, Jonathan, you're absolutely right that Linux, that Microsoft has no real attachment to Windows in the long run. Why so not use Linux? I don't think so either. It's, it's interesting to put it in cost terms that at, at a certain point, the economics are... What's the point? We're, right. we're still selling something. Still, I mean, this is what um, Neil Stevenson back in the last millennium wrote what a great, a great book. little book oh. called In the Beginning Was the Command oh, Line. Love this book. Um, just a brilliant book. And um, and it's all online. The whole thing is online. You can find it kicking around or to the, a number of copies of it. Um, but basically the whole idea of selling what was box software, you know, is, is long gone now anyway. And But there's still sort of, selling it that way and that, that, that you would have a laptop that comes with that little emblem on the bottom that says this runs windows you know but it could say windows and it's still just a linux front end you know there's no reason it shouldn't be i can't remember what than, show it was i did a reading of my favorite part of that book where you remember this doc he talks about the crossroads and there's Four, yeah, the four car dealers. Yeah, car dealers at the crossroads. There's, there's Microsoft, there's Apple, and then there's a bunch of guys <laughs> Tink, selling tanks, yeah, giving away tanks. Giving away tanks, and they can't understand why people are going across the street to buy these you know, crappy 
Uh, now, of course, yeah, they did beat up old station wagons. Yeah. I mean, beat up new station wagons that fall apart and don't work. And Stevenson has yeah. since uh, amended it to say, hey, well, actually, it turns out Apple isn't that bad. Okay, I'll, I'll, uh, Apple's fine. Yeah, I, I one of my few exchanges <laughs> with him was about that. He said, I. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm using a Mac now. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I kind of hate to admit if, it. If you haven't um, read it, uh, read it. It is it's hysterical. Worth reading. It, it, and it mentions, what was um, Jean-Louis Gasset's company? BOS. Um, yeah, this was... B- so that, the BOS. That dates it because it was yeah. written when... That was the when other B- corner. Yeah. 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 It was written when BOS was still around. And he was yeah. right. I mean, that was an off, awesome operating system. That must have been the late 90s, early 2000s. Late, yeah, late 90s. Yeah. 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 Came along just in time for the dot-com crash. In the beginning was the command line. Fantastic book. I actually bought a copy of it. Were you there, Doc, when we changed Linux Journal to BOS Journal for April 4th? Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) We changed the whole site, everything. So here's a question. Are we now stuck with iOS, Android, Mac, Linux, and Windows? Is that it? Will they not? I mean, are we done with new operating systems, you know, BOS was pretty amazing. There is a kind of open source movement called Haiku to kind of keep it alive. There's Fuchsia from Google. But are we done with new operating systems? Is it is it set? Well, no. <clears throat> that may be a piece with, with passwords. So. Because if you told me in 1995, which is to me like the beginning of the Internet, in, in, in the sense that it went commercial, um, the NSFnet shut down, Suddenly, there was this explosion of commercial activity where there were ISPs, and sort of we we had the the table of elements that we have now. But if you told me then we'd still be using passwords in 2023, I'd think you were nuts. And um, and we're still we're logins and passwords are like more embedded than ever. And and I wonder whether it's the same way with operating systems. Like Apple's going to make its own. Apple's a what a multi-trillion-dollar company at this point, or something like that. Um, too many people in that ecosystem, too hard to see past the horizon of when that plays out, if it ever does. I think um, there's a lesson I don't know. in uh, Windows Phone where Microsoft did try yeah. to create a third mobile operating system and was rebuffed because I think this might be the case now. You can't really just put out an operating system unless you have software for it. Uh, so you've got to get developers lined up. Uh, and they couldn't, and they didn't, and it just flopped. Uh, it, it, they had to kill it. Um, and I wonder if at this point the the burden of creating an entirely new operating system, and then maybe if you had a, maybe you'd have to put in a compatibility layer so people could run their Windows software on it. Did BOS have? I don't remember. Did it have a compatibility layer? I don't think so. I, I doubt it. No. I don't think it was. I don't it was think pretty it was pretty it. it came with a lot of simple apps, so you could do some things, but. So, 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 Leo, do you want to handle the Collide ad, or should I stumble oh, into sure. it? If you want, okay, okay, go for it. If you Chewing want, you up. All right, I will. I will. Uh, I will do the ad. I will do the ad for Collide. <laughs> I should put on my Collide T-shirt while I'm doing the ad. Let me tell you, I am a huge fan of Collide because I really believe that security can be done better than you know the old saying when the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Uh, the traditional approach to device security, that's the hammer. The MDM, a blunt instrument, not great with nuance problems. It also creates this you know, wall between IT and security and your end users. They become the enemy. Uh, you know, as, even after installing those clunky you know, MDM agents that users hate, 
IT teams still have to deal with mountains of support tickets. Same old issues, right? No way to address things like, oh, go ahead and try telling a user, you know, your SSH key is unencrypted. Huh? Or you got to update your operating system, dude, or pretty much anything going on with a Linux device. Endpoint security done right. That's Collide. And it's not a hammer. It's, it's a Swiss Army knife. It gives your IT teams a single dashboard for all devices. That's one of the things I love about Collide. Totally cross-platform. Mac, Windows, yes, Linux. And for the IT guys uh, and gals, you can query your entire fleet to check for a common compliance issues. Just one command. Or you can write your own custom checks. Easy to do. Plus, instead of installing in some intrusive MDM uh, software that creates more work for you, the IT department, and scares your users over privacy. Collide's lightweight agent shows end users, I love this, how to fix the problem themselves. And there's two reasons. It's not just, it's not laziness on your part. It's when they do it themselves, they have ownership. It's the IKEA effect, right? They've fixed it. They are now on your team. They're there to keep, keep your... Entire network secure, your entire enterprise secure. They're part of the team instead of the end, you know, the enemy. And 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 users love it. I'm telling you, you will love it. Achieve endpoint compliance. Add a new tool to your toolbox. Visit K-O-L-I-D-E collide.com slash floss to find out how you can start that 14-day free trial right now. No credit card required. Collide with a K. K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash Floss. We love Collide. And see all the goodies you can get? Your Collide t-shirt, the coaster for, uh, I think Jonathan could use that. The stickers for Catherine to put on her laptop. K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash Floss. Thank you, Collide, for supporting Floss Weekly. Um, so, speaking of advertisers, we, there's news around one we don't have now, which is LastPass. Yes. Um, Steve so, Gibson, I'm going to plug uh, for uh, Security Now yesterday. Steve Gibson did a whole – he's, of course, he got us all on LastPass when he interviewed the creator, Joe Segrist, and said, you know, thumbs up. The way he's doing is perfect. This was 2007, eight, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then he's been reporting on the breaches, the first one in July, which LastPass undersold. His, uh, sto- his uh, podcast from yesterday, Security Now from yesterday, is called Leaving LastPass. And I'll leave you mm-hmm. to – decide what his final yeah, conclusion well, is. That was my holiday. So that, yeah, that title yeah, was basically yeah. my I bet a lot holiday. of people. Yeah. And the, one so of the how things did it hit you, Catherine, what, what, what was, what, well, I mean, your... I, I haven't been impacted in, in the, in the real, in the true sense. And, but I, I just lost faith after the first one. I thought, well, I've been using last test for forever. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I don't know if it goes back as far as we just said, but it's been a long, long time. Um, and so, and it's really, you know, it's tough to migrate off of something like that. But this last time I, I thought, well, well, I actually, you know, it, I have to say that this is a sponsor before I mention the name, I believe, but uh, I, I created a new account with Bitwarden. Yes. Because I've all, you know, I've, I've heard uh, great things about Bitwarden for a very long time and I intended to migrate there at some point. And, and it's and open this source. Was, this is the last straw mm-hmm. and yep. it's open source. Mm-hmm. And I, I just feel better about using it. So I created a new account and all my, let's say my more important stuff or the, or at least the mo- more important stuff that I'm willing to put in a password manager is there. And, you know, I, eventually I'll probably migrate the whole thing, but I still have some things in LastPass. But it's it's just, 
you know, it's a bummer because you, you hate to, to have, be let down. And, and when you have that sort of crisis of confidence with, with a brand that you've, you've used for so long, it, it is a bit sad. But they went but through, Bitwarden's great. So They went know. through, you know, they got purchased a couple of times, sold a couple of times, yeah. logged me and bought them. I thought that's maybe a sign of trouble, yep. but I was actually impressed. They, they, they let the team, you know, stay intact and they continue to do good work. Then they were purchased by a private equity uh, company and always that's nerve wracking. That happened a yeah. couple of years ago. That they stopped advertising before that happened, or maybe at the same time. And then uh, the private equity company spun it out as a standalone um, company. Just I think a couple of months ago. So, but the problem is, especially with private equity, you get so profit focused. And yep. I don't know. I don't have any sources on the inside, but it's my guess that the people running the company started to become more important than the people writing the software and, and, and the security experts. And so they made some, I think, poor decisions. The worst decision was what they've told people, which has been barely adequate. I, I think the legal minimum that they could tell people. But the impression uh, we got is that all of the password vaults were leaked. Yep. And that is the worst mm. thing a password manager can do, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And because yeah. Uh, many of these vaults were not uh, as secure as they ought to be, they used something called PBKDF2. Uh, and uh, the iterate, iterations, the more iterations, the harder it is to brute force. Uh, LastPass chose 100,000, 100, or 100,001 uh, iterations some years ago. But it, 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 Steve seems to have figured out that not that that wasn't done retroactively to everybody's account. So there are people out there who with LastPass vaults that are secured with 5,000 PBKDF2 um, uh, iterations. And that's far too few for modern GPU uh, brute forcing tools. So those those vaults are vulnerable. If you used a bad password, they're vulnerable. I said, is it helpful if I use two-factor? He said, no, because the two-factor is only used when you log into your LastPass account. It is not used to secure the vault, so that doesn't help. So you better hope you had a very long, strong master password. And then if you did like Catherine did, and as Steve has done, he moved to Bitwarden as well after looking at all the others. Although I will say that you know there's nothing wrong with one password, um, uh, nothing wrong with Dashlane. There are other good choices. If you're on a Mac only, you can use the Mac Apple built-in stuff, the keychain. Those all work, but any better any password manager, including LastPass, than no password manager. But one thing he did point out, and I think it's important, Catherine, for you to know, is even though you have now moved to Bitwarden, that old LastPass vault is sitting out there. Somebody's attacking mm -hmm. yep. it. All those passwords may at some time become available to them. So yep. you want to start with anything that's not that's you know important financially, or you know you can't afford to lose yep. that password, and go change those all. If you have two-factor yep, turned on, you're less, you're less <laughs> two-factor will help protect you because password alone won't get them into your bank account. But still, yeah. Yeah. And that's, so that's, that's what will take you all Christmas. That's that's a lot of... Yeah. yeah, no, it was miserable. I had so many passwords. So yeah, I was changing passwords and, you know, and prioritizing and deciding, well, you know, if somebody logs into my Pinterest account or I don't know, you know, something that, things that are lower priority, I've put off a bit. But yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's not a fun process. 
Philly, right, you Philly, do what you got to do. Philly Cotown in the IRC has it right. He says, you had one job last pass. <laughs> yeah. <a> job. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, I've got to well, say, though, this is not the worst thing that could happen to a password manager. I have to give credit to Tavis Ormandy over at Google for making this point. The worst thing that could have happened to LastPass is they could have accidentally shipped an update to the browser extension with malicious code. Yeah. Tavis that has been saying this for some time, that you shouldn't use those browser yes. extensions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he that, wants you that to would use... have been the nightmare scenario where they would have actually the an attacker would have gotten everyone's master password right. as well, right. and then it would have been game over. Yeah, you really have to make sure that and, and and he says you shouldn't be using the you should be, frankly, he thinks you should use Google Chrome's password manager, which I kind of disagree with. For a long time, Google Chrome's kept the password in, in plain text. Uh, their logic was well, if somebody has access to your computer, you're out of luck anyway. Um, but I don't think they do now encrypt, uh, in, in, at rest. Um, so, so, so I want to hear this, right. It, what you're suggesting is they give you like with Dashlane or one password or any of those, they all have a, a, a browser extension that you could use to like generate a password. And, and Tavis like that. says that's dangerous. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so basically don't do that. Just, well, I do. <laughs> you're trusting yeah. though, that they won't, in, that yeah. somebody doesn't come along and inject malicious code into it because it has access yeah. to everything in the clear. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Tavis said that, has been pretty aggressive about that. I'm not sure I fully agree with him because I think we want people to use these tools. Mm-hmm. You, you um, want what, people what you, to use the Jonathan, tools, but the, the attack use? he describes we, we got, we, is absolutely a, a real thing. Sure, the, the idea that hasn't if happened. A malicious update happened. Yeah, right. Hasn't it, happened. It would, it would steal your master password. But uh, yeah, I don't think it's happened anywhere. No. Any of the password managers that use actual real encryption, I don't think any of them have fallen to that. The other thing, though, that may be of uh, advantage of Bitwarden is you can store your own vault. And for a long time, I said, oh, no, I'm going to let the companies do it because they're experts in security. They'll never let my phone. <laughs> <laughs> so now, but it is a single point of failure, right? If somebody can get into those uh, vaults, that's a single point of failure. So I think that's another thing you might consider if you know what you're doing is store your last your Bitwarden vault uh uh, you know, on a Dropbox or you don't have to run a Bitwarden server, but you could even do that. There's some, there's actually some good third party uh, servers, but just, mm-hmm. you know, not having your vault in the big blob of everybody else's vaults is some advantage as well. So, so Jonathan, what do you use right now for passwords? I know we know what <laughs> the rest of us use. Well, you so have piles of paper, I, right? That, that are, I, I have so far uh, actually followed Tavis's advice. So I use um, I use LastPass for old passwords, and most of the new stuff is actually in Google Chrome, um, which I uh, I do recognize that that's a potential problem. Um, I, I will say though, the really important stuff doesn't touch a password manager. Like the, yeah, the passwords I really really care about that could be a nightmare if somebody got a hold of. Those aren't in any password manager. You can put, I think, uh, on the current YubiKeys, something like 15 or 25 passwords on those, on some of them, mm-hmm. the FIDO2 cap- capable ones. So the really important stuff you could you could keep on a physical key. I think that would be clearly the best way to do it. I have I keep a YubiKey on my keychain. And every time I do this, by the way, I get an email from somebody who said, you know, they could take a picture of your keys and, and then get into your house. I said, I know. <laughs> I'm trusting that you're not going to do that. Uh, but I love, I love YubiKeys. And YubiKey has said that I they're going to, yeah, they're going to do, and I, I hope this is soon, they're going to do a YubiKey that will store more <laughs> passwords. Uh, 
then this would be a great password manager, right? You'd have to have phys- you'd have to you'd have to rip it from my cold dead fingers. Yeah, yeah. So, so it, at that point, it's become an HSM, a, a hardware security module. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And if if they've done everything right, even if somebody gets a hold of it, uh, right? There there should be some some second authentication step to be Precisely. able to pull passwords off of that. I assume. Right. Yeah. 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 So that's a that's a really a, a promising approach. I'm going to look into that. There are uh, open source uh, hardware keys like YubiKey. I've purchased several of them. Um, YubiKey is not open source, so for some people they go, well, I don't know if I trust them. But there are open source ones out there. I can't remember. The Do any of the open the source ones have any true physical hardening, though? Well, that's the question, I've, I've you in, know? Yeah. Yeah, I've looked into several of those, and it seems like they don't have the... So, so there, there are certain physical attacks that you could do on a hardware security module, and then there are approaches that people have taken when they actually build the chips to make those difficult. Like someone trying to probe the inside of a chip, if they hit the wrong wire, it fly, it, it erases everything. Yeah. To, to put it very simply. And the open source HSMs that I've looked at, they've not had the money to be able that's to the physically design the chips. Yeah, because you have to do your own VLSI. And yeah, that's the problem. I've used, um, I think I used a solo key. Uh, uh, nitro key, I think, is the one I used most recently. Yeah, nitro key. Yeah. Um, but that's a really good question is, is, is the hardware, uh, hardened? Yeah. I like you, I'm, I'm, I, I trust them. Uh, and uh, you know, even it's not, though it's not open source, I think it's a, it's a good solution. Yeah. Well, with so all of those, you gotta have to think the, through. Yeah. I was just going to say, we're getting down to the short the... rows here. So, um, <laughs> and we haven't touched rust and we haven't touched uh, system 76. Another thing we're was on our list here. Anything we want to hit real quickly before we we go out? And we need to plug um, the Twit survey. Maybe you could do that, Leo. Yeah, take the Twit survey. Twit.tv slash survey23. It only takes a few minutes, and it helps us better understand you, the audience. Actually, last year, there was a little error made. We didn't mention Linux as one of the operating systems people use. And boy, we heard about that. So Linux is now a choice. Um uh, there are other changes I would have made, but I don't have fully have control over this. So, uh, but it is really helpful for us. We'd only do it once a year. We don't want to track you. We can't really with RSS. So, uh, which is the way podcasts work. And let's keep it that way. Uh, you know, darn you Spotify. But uh, <laughs> if you take the survey, it helps us. Yes. We'll say that with advertisers. Cause we can say, well, you know, age demographics, so forth like that. But we, of course it's not about you. It's about as in general, you know, uh, young, smart people with lots of uh, disposable income. Listen to Floss Weekly. We like to be able to say that. Uh, so if you would go uh, uh, to twit.tv slash survey23, just do it quickly. It won't take long. And uh, uh, thanks in advance. It, it runs. It, I shouldn't say this, but you have till the end of the month. But don't do it now. Just get it over with. It gets a good feeling. <laughs> We need to know you, know who we who yeah, we have. Yeah, not you specifically, yeah. but you yeah, in no, general. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the plural you, whatever. I that fight is. really hard. You know, advertisers would love to do all sorts of tracking. We have had to give in a little bit, uh, in a way that I think is privacy forward uh, to some of them because they just, you know, we just they won't advertise, um, and it's getting worse and worse. And that's primarily because of Spotify, Amazon, and Audible. Uh, and uh, Microsoft and iHeart, all of which 
take these podcasts, put them inside an app where they know exactly who you are, what your credit card number is, where you are right now, how much of the show you listen to, how many times you heard the ad, all of that stuff. Advertisers, rightly or wrongly, love that. And so it gets very hard for us to sell against those platforms. Uh, the survey helps, but it's one of the reasons we also really promote uh, Club Twit because I, I think ultimately this is going to be a real problem for f- podcasts done in the right way with RSS. The way we do it, um, independent podcasters are, um, I think, on the disendangered list, and uh, we would like to stay off that. So that's another plug, twit.tv slash club twit. Uh, seven bucks a month, and it and it keeps us off the endangered list. Thanks, and <laughs> thanks for that too. Yeah. That's a really critical thing. That um, it's a big change, and it's not good. Same thing happened to good. blogs, right, uh, Doc? It's exactly it's what's happened to blogs. Is what you know. Um, I get Catherine and I have a um, have a, a Substack thing. And Substack is sort of like becoming the non-blog blog. Um, Nothing against them, nothing against newsletters that made it rather, rather easy to write. Um, but it's, it's, you know, I, I don't think blogs ever go away, but we are at a moment right now where I think we can bring them back. I think we can, we can save podcasting. I think mm-hmm. RSS is so mm-hmm. critical for that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> RSS has never gone away. Look up RSS on Google. You get about 20 million, you know, billion results. It's kind of crazy. RSS is the way. The open web is is syndicated, and um, and, the, and, and everybody trying to lock it into something. Oh my gosh! Well, I understand the, why advertisers want to know. Natural, you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they want to, I mean, quite frankly, when I go to some podcasts, they do hit the go thirty seconds forward, whatever you know. But but with the way you do ads, because <laughs> you never know. I don't want what's to do gonna that. Happen. Leo might fall yeah. off his chair. You don't. You don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I try to keep them exciting. <laughs> hey, you said yeah. Rust. I just want to say yeah. one thing. I'm glad Rust is uh, in the Linux kernel now. I think Rust is, uh, you know, it's nice to have a system-safe systems, la- uh, memory-safe systems language. But I sure wouldn't want to write anything in Rust. Are you guys Rust users? <laughs> no, I don't. It's a lot of boilerplate. <laughs> it's like Java to me. It's it, too much typing. It is definitely on my list of languages to take a look at and learn. You've seen <laughs> the thing that I've seen is a whole bunch of projects getting re-implemented in Rust. Great. Uh, you know, we yes. command line, we do the command line tip over on the Untitled Linux show, and it hardly goes a week that we don't mention a command line tip, and somebody goes, "Oh, here's the Rust version of it." Yeah, goodness. And I would always rather use the Rust version, absolutely. But as a programmer, I'd much rather write. I would much rather write in Lisp. Uh, so that's I'm just a little plug for common Lisp. Or, you know, you can use a variant like a Clojure. That's fantastic, Haskell. If you're crazy, uh, uh, a lot of people like Scheme. I think Racket's a very good choice. These are these are languages that have stood the test of time. Common Lisp hasn't changed since 1984. I know, everybody now? loves it. That's a great yet, feature. There it is. Yeah. Are you kidding? Oh. Just ask a Python user. Well, is it Python two or three? Are you? Are you? That's true. You know, or ask a Perl user. <laughs> yeah. What's Raku? Have you have you moved to Raku yet? No, it hasn't changed. The Common Lisp standard has been a standard for thirty years, thirty plus years, and uh, I like using a language that's as old as I am. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Uh, Ant's putting up a picture of, from a site I never heard of, but I, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. <laughs> Learn Lisp. K 
kids, your your your, your grandchildren will thank you when they're running your command line utility. All all the smart old people love learning. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty what so, the story is, you know. One of the one run. of the coolest Rust projects that I'm excited about. I want to plug this real quick before Good. we go. Is System 76 and their Cosmic Desktop. Yes, they are rewriting their own desktop environment in Rust. Bravo! And they've made some big promises wow. about what it's going to do. Have you? HDR is it out there? The Have you used it? Can you use it? It's not usable yet. They're okay. still working on it. Uh, they're they're kind of in uh, they're in cathedral mode. If you want to talk cathedral and bizarre, they're not still in cathedral bizarre. mode where okay. they're working on oh, it. Yeah. And they're not. They haven't pushed <clears throat> it out yet. Yeah. But I'm excited because there, there's some big promises coming, and System 76 has a track record of actually delivering on their promises. I so, own many of their desktops. I think Pop still, OS is a very very good version of Linux. Um, Maybe that should be called monastic mode. They're still in the monastery. <laughs> yeah, monastery, yeah. <laughs> then cathedral, then bazaar, then, yeah, and then the crossroads yeah. uh, selling tanks. Yeah, you can. It's in the liturgy. You can go there and hear them singing. Uh, okay, well, this has been we're we're actually gone long, but that's okay. Um, you have any more ads you want me to do? I know you already did the last one, which is the uh, which is the okay. survey. Okay, <laughs> so I'm, we're set. We're good. I just want you to come on the show every week and do this because it's so it's, it's, it's so it's freaking well. This is something I don't um, have to do if you all join Club Twit right now. Please. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So next week we have Devin Ulibarri and Walter Bender of Sugar Labs and Music Blocks. Um, our our guest host is going to be Dan Lynch. I love the music stuff you guys have been doing. That's so great. Yeah. And he always has a guitar or instruments behind him. Nice. Nice. And he's in Liverpool. So it it all kind of plays out. Maybe he'll play his latest record. (laughs) He might. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, a little number I've written. Find out. Maybe he'll. He'll noodle on it a little bit before we. But we I want to thank on. you, Doc, for taking over the show, and you and Jonathan and Catherine and Sean have done such a great job. This show is is better and better all the time. You get the best people on, uh, uh, and I really hope that the open source world acknowledges and understands what a valuable resource this is. And you have my commitment uh, well, that, that we you. will keep doing this because it's so important. Uh, you know, this is a labor of love. And Jonathan, the Untitled Linux Show, which is a club twit only. Thank you for doing that. People have told us for years you've got to do a Linux show. I'm so glad you do that. It's it, it's really important. You and Rob and everybody. And thank you. And yeah. I'm sorry I I kind of stopped doing it, but I was trying to get Saturdays off. I finally succeeded. <laughs> <laughs> you deserve it. You deserve it. I just want to go to brunch, please. <laughs> Nineteen brunchless years. Uh, so, but thank you for the job all of you do. Uh, really fantastic, and to, and to get these Thanks, great people on is, is to me is the gold of uh, what podcasting can do. Yeah, Thanks right. For having right. Me. So, okay, right. so <laughs> we're 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 plugging the heck out of this show. So, uh, Jonathan, we already had <laughs> the Untitled Linux show, but go ahead and plug it again. Maybe you've got something coming uh, up, or and hack a day, do your thing. Sure. So the, the two things I like to plug are the Untitled Linux show, which we are adding video to that, which is kind of the big deal we've been Ooh. working on this last couple of weeks. And, and you're going to still do it on Saturday afternoons? You're going to still do the same time? Because the Gizfiz is gone now. So you could change times if you wanted to. That is good to know. Yeah. Um, we'll keep it the same for now, but good to know we have a little flexibility with that. We yeah. may go... I don't know. Uh, I do it right after supper, so I can't really go much earlier unless we go way Good. earlier. And in the I'll day. do it and right after brunch. I'll have to stop by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we would love to have you. I might anytime. be a little woozy on mimosas, but it's okay. <laughs> that's, that's fun, Leo. <laughs> Sounds like a and good show. And then the show. other thing I like to plug. 
Hackaday.com, where I have the security column over there on on every Friday morning. Those are my two things. So good. So good. I would like to plug your Hackaday column, too. It's great. (laughs) Hackaday is a great site. Really, really fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, Jonathan rocks. So, Catherine, you want to just plug our little thing? Do you have anything else? really to plug? Oh, yeah, we, we do that other thing. Uh, Doc and I have another podcast we do at reality2cast.com. I also, uh, oh, hey, it's on the screen. Uh, you can find me at open.intel.com. I don't know, did I mention I work for Intel uh, in our open, open ecosystem group? I have some stuff coming up. You might see maybe a podcast series there coming up, too. All podcasts all the time. Um, but, yeah, visit me anywhere on the Internet, Mastodon in particular. Uh, yeah, you can find me there. We didn't talk about uh, Risk Five, but I'm I'm very excited. I think this might be the year of Risk Five. We've had a couple of shows on yeah, Risk, I know. Risk Five. I, is know. Good stuff. Um, I know. We should probably bring one. Ideally, back. here in another another month or two, I'm getting a Risk Five development board Ooh. in. That'll be my first time to touch it. So, I'm looking Ooh, forward to that. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Fun. Okay, everybody, this has been awesome. This has been a fabulous show, an awful lot of fun. And, and to me, do it on almost no sleep. It's best, been- best ads <laughs> ever. You know. Yeah. Best ads, <laughs> yeah. best, ads I've, best ads I've never done. It's just, it's- <laughs> I'm sold. I'm seriously, I'm going to go off. sign up for Collide. Get fast, man. Get Collide. You should do it all. Yeah, like, yeah. I feel like we, we have front row seats to, to, to just hear the master at work. You it's know, a it's lousy like, thing to be a master of, i got to tell you. I, uh, <laughs> if, if I could pick anything in the world, Listen. I'd rather be a great unicyclist. But okay. Uh, All right. Uh, <laughs> master of Ad Reads. Great. Guy. That'll be on my uh, tombstone. <laughs> he, he could sell it. There okay, are guys. Worse I'm the Ed McMahon <laughs> of podcasting. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So more than that. <laughs> the Johnny Carson. The, did, did Johnny, did only, only Ed did the ads. Only guess, Ed right? did the Alpo ads. And uh, yeah, yeah. Johnny just sat there and smoked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and has, has the death to prove it. Anyway, all right, everybody. It's been great having you. This, see you in a week. Give the plug for that already. We'll be back next time. Hey, I'm Rod Pyle, Editor-in-Chief of Astor Magazine, and each week I join with my co-host to bring you This Week in Space, the latest and greatest news from the final frontier. We talk to NASA chiefs, space scientists, engineers, educators, and artists, and sometimes we just shoot the breeze over what's hot and what's not in space, books, and TV. And we do it all for you, our fellow true believers. So whether you're an armchair adventurer or waiting for your turn to grab a slot in Elon's Mars rocket, join us on This Week in Space and be part of the greatest adventure of all time.